Hello and welcome. Wait, hold on a second. I gotta check something. I gotta figure out which episode this is first. Do sticky notes exist in your Sometimes. world? I'm asking oh, Dragon. Uh, I do not know. Because if so, we gotta put them all over Yandred's office. That's uh, not what I want. I want <laughs> what about balloons? Probably should. I think in my world there would be some kind of equivalent. Okay. Entertainment, YouTube. <laughs> uh... Excuse me as I just giggle looking at all of the possible pranks that Briar can do. Our last episode was. I know it was chapter 11, uh, episode 27, so this is going to be episode 28. Awesome, gotcha. <coughs> Hello, and welcome to episode 28 of the Idiot Book Nook. My name is Blazing, and my pronouns are she, her, and they, them. I am the Reading Dragon, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Lady Punnett, my pronouns are primarily she, her, sometimes awesome. they, them. So... We are going through book one of the Bartimaeus Trilogy, The Amulet of Samarkand. We are going to be starting off today with chapter 12, but before we do, if you would like to follow us on social media, you can feel free to absolutely do so. You can follow Lady Punnett at uh, L-A-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Paulina dot Avalon. You can follow The Reading Dragon at l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash the reading dragon and you can follow myself at l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash blazewing two zero one zero if you would like to take a look at our podcast feed see what episodes we've got and or leave us a voicemail message for a viewer or listener feedback episode you are more than welcome to do so at anchor.fm slash idiot dash book dash nook and you can find our website at idiotbooknook.wordpress.com so episode 12 Huh? We're, we're uh, yeah. about 44 chapters in this book. Mm -hmm. So we got like 32 We've chapters taken left. taken a chunk out of this book. After this. Yes. I love it. <laughs> oh, we should probably like post that we are uh, live as well on social media. Oh. So, it's been a couple of weeks since the idiot book nook has met. Do we want to do a recap or do we want to just get going? Because, I mean, our... our li Last time on the Bartimaeus series! Nathaniel fucked up. Yeah. Nathaniel who we now know is the name of the small boy, has summoned the demon Bartimaeus, who is a high-ranking demon. We don't know how high-ranking, but high enough that he has, like, enough to gloat and be right about it. Mm -hmm. He was tasked with obtaining the amulet of Samarkand from this guy named Lovelace, who is a douchebag who has, like, this blonde bimbo with him. And I can say that because I am blonde. Anywho's it. He stole it. Everyone chased after him. Ran into a girl. Apparently magical, but not a magician. There is a difference. Got away from them by turning into a crocodile and almost eating them. Mm -hmm. Returned the amulet. Did not know the boy's name. Boy said, I am not done yet. 
There's this super magic circle that will make it so you have to obey me. He's like, fine, what do you want me to do? And, he, and the boy's like, okay, you take this amulet. You put it in my master's study somewhere where he will not find it for safekeeping. He's like, fine, goes downstairs as a spider, hides the amulet. Here's the boy's name is Nathaniel, which by the way, he should not be reusing his name because reasons and magical lore and fae and all that shit. So now Bartimaeus, super excited because he's like, I know his birth name. I know his true name. Ha 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 ha. And now they're going upstairs. Yep. Excellent recap. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, there's also the very nice mom who we think is nice. And, um, but they can't have kids who's married to the master who we don't like because he's a dick because he mm -hmm. does basically torturing things to child. And we like the art teacher too. Um, and I feel like, oh, they're going to choose his name, which is like the name that magicians use. So they don't use the true name because you're supposed to forget about it. But Nathaniel didn't forget about it. And now Bartimus knows it. And yeah. Forget about it. Yep. Forget about it. Forget about it. And we are on chapter 12. 13? So. 12. Get okay, one moment as we I get down there. We are going to be doing chapter 12. Narrator, would you do us the honor? Yes. Cool. Let me just let so, my squish my uh, down. Lady Punnett, mm -hmm. because you do not get many speaking roles, I'm going to be giving you uh -huh. the, uh, the the footnotes. Yay! So you can, Yay! You can do the footnotes. Woo! Yay! Where's... Okay, that's seven. I'm, I'm still going. not there. What, what, what page is it on? Uh, so, pay, so chapter 12... At least in my copy, starts on, on page, page 95. Alright, so... Oh, that's the wrong We're button. We're off to a great start this morning. Fantastic start. Da, da, da. Here we go. Chapter 12, Nathaniel. Narrator, take it away. Yes. Cool, so... The Bartimaeus Trilogy, Book One, The Amulet of Samarkand by Jonathan Stroud, narrated by The Reading Dragon, voice acted by The Reading Dragon, Blaze Wing 2010, and Lady Punnett. Nathaniel, Chapter 12. One summer's day, when Nathaniel was 10 years old, he sat with his tutor on the stone seat in the garden sketching the horse chestnut tree beyond the wall. The sun beat upon the red bricks. A gray and white cat lolled on the top of the wall, idly swishing its tail from side to side. A gentle breeze shifted the leaves of the... Mm. A gentle breeze shifted the leaves of the tree and carried a faint scent across from the... Rhododendron bushes. Rhododendron. Am I reading that right? Rhododendron. Rhododendron. Okay. It's basically <clears throat> a rose bush. Oh, okay. Rose bush. You're a rose bush. <laughs> a gentle breeze lifted the leaves of the tree and carried a faint scent across from the rhododendron bushes. The moss on the statue of the man with the lightning fork gleamed richly in the yellow sunlight. Insects hummed. It was the day that everything changed. Patience, Nathaniel. You said that so many times, Miss Lutiens. 
And I'll say it again, I have no doubt. You are too restless. It's your biggest fault. Nathaniel irritably cross-hatched a patch of Nathaniel irritably cross-hatched a patch but of But it's shame. so frustrating. He never he lets explained. me try anything. All I'm allowed to do is set up candles and the incense and other stuff that I could do in my sleep, standing on my head. I'm not even allowed to talk to them. Quite right, too, Miss Lutian said firmly. Remember, I just want subtle shading. Wait, I just want subtlety, subtleties of shading. No hard lines. It's ridiculous. Nathaniel made a face. I didn't realize what I can do. I've read all his books and all of well, them. All the ones in his little bookcase, and he said they keep me going until I was twelve. I'm not even eleven yet, Miss Lutians. I mean. I've already mastered the words of direction and control, most of them. I can give a... I could give a Ginny an order if he summoned it for me, but he won't even let me try. I don't know which is less attractive, Nathaniel. Your boasting or your Petulance. putulence. Same difference. You should stop worrying about what you don't have yet and enjoy what you have now. This garden, for instance. I'm very pleased you thought of having our lesson out here today. I always come here when I can. It helps me think. I'm not surprised. It's peaceful, solitary, and there are precious few parts of London like that. So be grateful. He keeps me company. Nathaniel indicated like the statue. Him, even though I don't know who he is. Him? Miss Lutians glanced up from her sketchbook, but went on drawing. Oh, that's easy. That's who? Gladstone. Gladstone? Surely you know. Doesn't Mr. Prulins teach you recent history? Purcell. 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 Sorry. Purcellius. Perseliamus! <laughs> Too recent. Gladstone died more than a hundred years ago. He was a great hero of the time. There must have been thousands of statues made of him, put up all over the country. Rightly so, from your point of view. You owe him a lot. Nathaniel was Why? puzzled. He was the most powerful magician ever to become Prime Minister. He dominated the Victorian age for 30 years and brought the feuding fractions of magicians under government control. You must have heard of his duel with the sorcerer Disraeli, Dis Disraeli on Westminster Green. No? You should go and see. The scorch marks are still th on show. Gladstone was famous for his supreme energy and his impeccable defiance when the chips were down. He never gave up his chance, even when things look bad. He never gave up his cause. Same difference. <laughs> Gosh. Nathaniel gazed at the stern face staring from beneath its covering of moss. The stone, the stone hand gripped its lightning bolt loosely, confidently. Ready to throw. Why did he have that duel, Miss Lutians? 
I believe Disraeli made a rude remark about a female friend of Gladstone's. That was a big mistake. Gladstone never let anyone insult his honor or that of his friends. He was very powerful and quite prepared to challenge anyone who had wronged him. She blew charcoal from her sketch and held it up to the light critically. Gladstone did more than anyone else to help London ascend to magical prominence. In those days, Prague was still the most powerful city in the world, but its time had long gone. It was old and decadent, and its magicians bickered among the slums of the ghetto. ghetto. Gladstone provided new ideas, new projects. He attracted many foreign magicians here by acquiring certain relics. London became the place to be, as it still is, for better or for worse. As I say, you ought to be grateful. Nathaniel looked at her. What do you mean, for better or for worse? What's worse about it? Miss Lutians pursed her lips. The current system is very beneficial for magicians and for a few lucky others who cluster all about them. Less so for anyone else. Now, let me see how your sketch is coming. Going. Something in her tone aroused Nathaniel's indignation. His lessons with Mr. Purcell, with Mr. Purcell came flooding into his mind. You shouldn't speak of the government like that. Wait, this is... Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it on. is your... You shouldn't speak of the government like that. He said. Without magicians, the country would be defenseless. Commoners would rule and the country would fall apart. Magicians give their lives to keep the country safe. You should remember that, Miss Lutians. Even to his own ears, his voice sounded rather shrill. I'm sure that when you have grown up, you will make many telling sacrifices, Nathaniel. She spoke rather more sharply than usual. But in fact, not all countries have magicians. Plenty do very well without them. You seem to know a lot about it all. From a humble drawing tutor? Do I detect surprise in your voice? Well, you're only a commoner. He stopped short, flushed. Sorry, I didn't mean... Quite right. Miss Lutian said shortly. I am a commoner, but magicians don't have a complete monopoly on knowledge, you know. Far from it. And anyway, knowledge and intelligence are very different things, as you'll one day discover. For a few minutes... They busied themselves with their paper and pens and did not speak. The cat on the wall flicked a lazy paw in a circling wasp at a circling wasp. At length, Nathaniel broke the silence. Did you not want to become a magician, Miss Lutians? He asked in a small voice. She gave a small, dry laugh. <laughs> I didn't have that privilege, she said. No, I'm just an art teacher, and happy to be one. Nathaniel tried again. 
what do you do when you're not here? Uh, with me, I mean. I'm with other pupils, of course. What? What did you think? That I go home and mope? Mr. Underwood doesn't pay me enough for moping, I'm afraid. I have to work. Oh. It had never occurred to Nathaniel that Miss Lucia... <clears throat> Sorry, let me start that over. It had never occurred to Nathaniel that Miss Lutiens might have other pupils. Somehow, the knowledge gave him a slightly naughty feeling in the pit of his stomach. Perhaps Miss Lutiens sensed this. After a short pause, she spoke again in a less frosty manner. Anyway, she said, I look forward to my lessons here very much. One of the highlights of my working week. You're good company, even if you're still prone to rushing things and think you know it's all, know it all. So cheer up and let me see how you've got on with that tree. Following a few minutes of calm discussion about art-related issues, the conversation resumed its usual peaceful course, but it was not long afterward that the lesson was suspended by the unexpected arrival of Mrs. Underwood, all in a fluster. Nathaniel! She cried. There you are! Miss Lutians and Nathaniel both stood up respectfully. I've looked all over for you, dear. Mrs. Underwood said, breathing hard. I thought you'd be in the schoolroom. I'm so sorry, Mrs. Underwood. Miss Lutians began. It was such a nice day. Oh, that doesn't matter. That's quite all right. It's just that my husband needs Nathaniel straight away. He has guests over, and he wishes to present him. Mm. There you are, then, Miss Lutien said quietly as they hurried back up the garden. Mr. Underwood isn't overlooking you at all. He must be very pleased with you to introduce you to other magicians. He's going to show you off. Nathaniel smiled weakly, but said nothing. The thought of meeting other magicians made him feel quite queasy. Through all his years in the house, he had never once been allowed to meet his master's professional colleagues, who appeared there intermittently. He was always packed off to his room, or kept out of harm's way with his tutors upstairs. This was a new and exciting development, if a rather frightening one. He imagined a room stuffed full of tall, brooding men of power, glowering at him over their bristling beards and swirling robes. His knees shook in anticipation. They're in the reception room, Mrs. Underwood said as they entered the kitchen. Let's look at you. She wet her finger and hurriedly removed a pencil-lead smudge from the side of his forehead. Very presentable. All right, in you go. The room was full He'd got that part right. It was warm with bodies, the smell of tea, and the effort of polite conversation. But by the time Nathaniel had closed the door and edged across to occupy the only space available, in the lee of an ornamental dresser, his magnificent visions of a company of great men had already evaporated. Mm. They just didn't look the part. There wasn't a cape to be seen. There were precious few beers on display, 
and none half as impressive as that of his own master. Most of the men wore drab suits with drabber ties. Only a few sported daring additions, such as a gray waistcoat or a visible breast pocket handkerchief. All wore shiny black shoes. The, it felt to Nathaniel as if he had strayed upon an undertaker's office party. None of them seemed like Gladstone in strength or in demeanor. Some were short. Others were crabbed and old. More than one was prone to pudginess. They talked amongst themselves earnestly, sipping tea and nibbling dry biscuits. And not one of them raised his voice above the consensus murmuring. Nathaniel was deeply disappointed. He stuck his hands in his pockets and breathed deeply. His master was inching himself through the throng, shaking hands and uttering an odd, short, barking laugh whenever a guest said something that he thought was intended to be funny. Catching sight of Nathaniel, he beckoned him over. Trud Nathaniel squeezed between a tea plate and someone's protruding belly and approached. This is the boy. The magician said gruffly, clapping Nathaniel on the shoulder in an awkward gesture. Three men looked down at him. One was old, white-haired, with a florid, sun-dried tomato face, covered in tiny creases. Another was a doughy, watery-eyed individual in middle age. His skin, looked, his skin looked cold and clammy, like a fish on a slab. The third was much younger and more handsome, with slick black, with slicked back hair, round glasses, and a xylophone-sized array of gleaming white teeth. Nathaniel stared back at them in silence. Who would like to take the clammy man? Go for or it. Or I could do it. I just... I, I lost my spot. I accidentally pressed place. It's okay. And it jumped. Doesn't look like much, the clammy man said. He sniffed and swallowed something. He's learning slowly. Nathaniel's master said his hand still patting Nathaniel on the shoulder in an aimless manner that suggested he was ill at ease. Slow, is he? said the old man. He spoke with an accent so th that Nathaniel could barely understand the words. Yes, some boys are. Uh, wait, hold on. I think, I think that's the old... Oh, wait. No, that's uh, Mr. Underwood. Because the next question is yes, uh, the clammy man. Some boys are. You must persevere. Do you beat him? The clammy man said. Or asked. Rarely. Hold on. Okay. Oh. Go ahead. It's cold. Unwise. It stimulates the memory. How old are you, boy? The younger man Ten, said. Sir? 
Nathaniel said politely. Still a m number of years before you'll... He'll be of any use to you, Underwood. The young man cut over Nathaniel as if he did not exist. Cost a fortune, I suppose. What? Bed and board? Of course. I bet he'll eat like a ferret, too. Brady is he... said the old man. He nodded regretfully. Some boys are... Nathaniel listened with barely suppressed indignation. I'm not greedy, sir. He said in his politest voice. The old man's eyes flickered toward him, then drifted away again as if he had not heard. But his master's hand clamped down on his shoulder with some force. Well, boy, you must get back to your studies. Run along. He said, Nathaniel was only too happy to leave, but as he began to sidle off, but as he began to sidle off, the young man in the glasses raised a hand. You've got a tongue in your head, I see, he said. Not afraid of your elders. Nathaniel said nothing. Perhaps you don't think we're your betters, too. The man spoke lightly but the sharpness in his voice was clear. Nathaniel could tell at once that he himself was not the point at issue, was not the point at issue, and that the young man was challenging his master through him. He felt as if he ought to answer, but was so confused by the question that he did not know whether to say yes or no. The young man misinterpreted his silence. He thinks he's too good to talk to us all now, he said to his companions and grinned. The clammy man tittered wetly into his hand, and the, re and the old red-faced man shook his head. Tcha, he said. Run along, boy. Nathaniel's master said again. Hold on, Underwood, the young man said, smiling broadly. Before he goes, let's see what you've taught this whippet of yours. It'll be amusing. Come here, lad. Nathaniel glanced across at his master, who did not meet his eye. Slowly and unwillingly, he drew near to the group again. The young man snapped his fingers with a flourish and spoke at top speed. How many classified types of spirits are there? Nathaniel replied without a 13, pause. 13,046, sir. And unclassified? Uh, Petronius postulates 45,000, Zavatini 48,000, sir. What is the Mobius Apriende of the. Modus Apriende? Modus Apriende of the Carthaginian subgroup. They fear crying infants, sir, or as doppelgangers of the magician in his youth. How should one chastise them? Out of ass's of ass's milk. Hmm. If something a cockatrice, what precautions should uh, one take? Glasses, sir, and surround the pentacle with mirrors on two uh, two other sides, also, to force the cockatrice to gaze into the remaining direction where its written instructions will be waiting. Nathaniel 
was gaining in confidence. He had committed simple details such as these to memory long ago, and he was pleased to note that his unerringly correct answers were exasperating the young man. His success had also stopped the clammy man's snickering, and the old magician, who was listening with his head cocked to one side, had even nodded grudgingly once or twice. He noticed his master smiling, rather smugly. Not that I owe any of this to you, Nathan. Oh, that's a thought from Nathaniel. There should be thought marks. Right? Why do we not have, like, thought quotations or something like that in literature? Not that I owe any of this to you. Nathaniel thought, witheringly. I read all this. You've taught me next to nothing. For the first time, there was a pause in the barrage of the young man's questions. He appeared to be thinking. All right, he said at last, speaking much more slowly now and rolling the words luxuriously over his tongue. What are the six words of direction? Any language. Arthur Underwood uttered a startled protest. Be fair, Simon. He can't know that yet. But even as he spoke, Nathaniel was opening his mouth. This was a formula contained in several of the books in his master's large bookcase, where Nathaniel was already browsing. Pare, mane... Ascolta, sedete, pare, ready. Appear, remain, listen, submit, obey, return. He looked into the young magician's eyes as he finished, conscious of his triumph. Their audience murmured their approval. His master now wore an unconcealed grin. The clammy man raised his eyebrows, and the old man made a wry face, quietly mouthing, Bravo! But his interrogator just shrugged dismissively, as if the incident were of no account. He looked so super... Superlicious. He looked so super... Uh, well, supercilious. What? Supercilious. He looked so supercilious that Nathaniel felt his self-satisfaction turn into a fiery anger. Standards must have dropped, said the young man, taking a handkerchief from his pocket and wiping at an imaginary spot on his sleeve. If a backwater apprentice can be congratulated for spouting something we all learned at our mother's teeth, You're just a sore loser, Nathaniel said. There was a moment's hush. Then the young man barked a word, and Nathaniel felt something small and compact land heavily upon his shoulders. Invisible hands clenched onto his hair and jerked it backward with vicious strength, so that his face stared at the ceiling. And he cried out with pain. He tried to raise his arms, but found them pinioned. He tried to pinioned? Okay. He tried to raise his arms, but found them pinioned to his sides by a hideously muscular coil that wrapped itself around him like a giant tongue. He could see nothing except the ceiling. 
delicate fingers tickled his exposed throat with horrible finesse. In panic, he cried out for his master. Someone came close, but it was not his master. It was the young man. You cocksure gutter snipe, the young man said softly. What will you do now? Can you get free? No, how surprising. You're helpless. You know a few words, but you're capable of nothing. Perhaps this will teach you the dangers of insolence when you're too weak to fight back. Now, get out of my sight. Okay, so he may be a sore loser, but that is just the nice way of putting it. He is a shit loser. Fuck. Not just that. Nathaniel won your game? By your rules. And then you went and fucking yeah. we'll get it. You know what? We'll get into that during discussion. Yeah, let's keep going. We're almost at the end of the chapter. Mm -hmm. Something sniggered in his ear and with a f and with a kick of powerful legs removed itself from Nathaniel's shoulders. At the same moment, his arms were freed. His head drooped forward. Tears welled from his eyes. They were caused by the injury to his hair, but Nathaniel feared they would seem the weeping of a cowardly boy. He wiped them away with his cup. The room was still. All the magicians had dropped their conversations and were staring at him. Nathaniel looked at his master, silently appealing for support or aid. But Arthur Underwood's eyes were bright with rage. Rage that appeared to be directed at him. Rude. Nathaniel returned the look blankly. Then he turned and walked along the silent passage that parted for him across the room, reached the door, opened it, and walked through. He shut the door carefully and quietly behind him. White-faced and expressionless, he climbed the stairs. On the way up, he met Mrs. Underwood coming down. How did it go, dear? She asked him. Did you shine? Is everything- is some anything wrong? Nathaniel could not look at her for grief and shame. He, sta he started to go past her without answering, but at the last moment it was stopped fine. short. Tell he me, said, do you know who the magician is with the little glasses and the wide white teeth? Mrs. Underwood frowned. That would be Simon Lovelace, I expect. The junior minister of trade. He does have quite a set of gnashers, doesn't he? A rising star, I'm told. Did you meet him? Yes, I did. You're capable of nothing. Are you sure you're alright? You look so pale. Yes. Thank you, Mrs. Underwood. I'll go up now. Mrs. Lutian is waiting for you in the schoolroom. Oh, so I kind of like how we did that together. Okay. You're helpless. I'll go right along, Mrs. Underwood. Nathaniel did not go to the schoolroom. With slow, steady tread, he made his way to his master's workroom, where the dust on the dirty bottles gleamed in the sunlight, obscuring their pickled contents. Nathaniel walked along the pitted work table, which was strewn, which was strewn 
with diagrams that he had been working on the day before. You're too weak. Sorry, one second. I gotta stop pressing buttons. <laughs> you are too, too weak to fight, fight back. back. He stopped and reached out for a small glass box in which six objects buzzed and whirred. Wait, is it that you're capable of nothing already? No. Oh. Hang on. Where are we? Wait. This is Tian. Da, 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 da. You're too weak to fight back. Is it we'll see? we'll see? Yeah. We'll see. With slow, steady tread, Nathaniel crossed to a wall cupboard and pulled at a drawer. It was so warped that it stuck halfway, and he had no place, in, and he had to place the glass box carefully on the work surface before wrenching it open with a couple of forceful tugs. Inside the drawer, among a host of other tools, was a small steel hammer. Nathaniel took it out, picked up the box again, and, leaving the drawer hanging open, left the sunny workroom. He stood in the cool shadows of the landing, silently rehearsing the words of direction and control. In the glass box, the six mites tore back and forth with added zest. The box vibrated in his hands. You're, You're capable of nothing. The party was breaking up. The door opened, and the first few magicians emerged in dribs and drabs. Mr. Underwood escorted them to the front door. Polite words were exchanged, farewells said. None of them noticed the pale-faced boy watching from beyond the stairs. You had to say the name after the first three commands, but before the last. It was not too difficult, provided you didn't trip over the quicker syllables. He ran it through his head again. Yes, he had it, he had it down fine. More magicians departed. Nathaniel's fingers were cold. There was a thin film of sweat between them and the box they held. The young magician and his two companions sauntered from the reception room, where they were talking animatedly, chuckling over a remark made by the one with clammy skin. At a leisurely pace, they approached Nathaniel's master, waiting by the door. Nathaniel gripped the hammer firmly. He held the glass box in front of him. It shook from within. The old man was clasping Mr. Underwood's hand. The young magician was next in line, looking out into the street as if eager to be gone. In a loud voice, Nathaniel spoke the first three commands, uttered the name of Simon Lovelace, and, follow it, and followed it with the final word. Then he smashed the box. A brittle cracking and a brittle cracking, a frenzied groaning. Glass splinters cascaded toward the carpet. The six mites burst from their prison and rocketed down the stairs. 
their eager stings jutting forward. The magicians barely had time to look up before the mites were upon them. Three made a beeline for Simon Lovelace's face. Raising his hand, he made a rabid sign. Instantly, each mite erupted into a ball of flame and careered off at an angle to explode against the wall. Three other mites disobeyed their command. Two darted toward the clammy, doughy-faced magician. With a cry, he stumbled back, tripped over the door sill, and fell out onto the garden path. The mites bobbed and dived above him, seeking exposed flesh. His arms thrashed back and forth in front of his face, but to no avail. Several successful jabs were made, each one accompanied by a howl of agony. The sixth mite approached the old man at speed. He appeared to do nothing, but when it was just inches from his face, the mite suddenly pulled to a halt and reversed frantically, cartwheeling in midair. It spun out of control and landed near Simon Lovelace, who trod it, who trod it into the carpet. Arthur Underwood had been watching this in horror. Now he pulled himself together. He stepped over the threshold to where his guest was writhing in the flower bed and clapped his hand sharply. The two vengeful mites dropped to the ground as if stunned. At this point, Nathaniel thought to make a judicious retreat. He slipped away to the schoolroom, where Miss Lutien, where Miss Lutiens was sitting by the table reading a magazine. She smiled as he entered. How did you get on? Sounds like a boisterous party from this time of day. I sure heard someone's glass smashing. Nathaniel said nothing. In his mind's eye, he saw the three mites exploding harmlessly into the wall. He began to shake. Whether from fear or disappointed rage, he did not know. Miss Lutiens was on her feet in a trice. Nathaniel, come here. What's the matter? You look ill. You're shaking. She put her arm around him and let his head rest gently against her side. He closed his eyes. His face was on fire. He felt cold and hot all at the same time. She was still talking to him, but he could not answer her. At that moment, the schoolroom door blew open. Simon Lovelace stood there, his glasses flashing in the light from the window. He issued a command. Nathaniel ripped, Nathaniel was ripped bodily, Nathaniel was ripped bodily from Miss Lutien's grasp and carried through the air. For a moment, he hung suspended midway between ceiling and floor, time enough to catch a glimpse of the other two magicians crowding in behind their leader, and also relegated to the back, almost out of sight, his master. Nathaniel, Miss Nathaniel heard Miss Lutians shouting something, but then he was appended. But then he was upended. The blood rushed to his ears, and everything else was drowned out. He hung with his head, arms, and legs dangling toward the carpet, and his room aloft, and his bottom aloft. Then an invisible hand or an invisible stick struck him on his rump. He yelled, wriggled, 
kicked in all directions. The hand descended again, harder than before, and then again. Long before the tireless hand ceased its work, Nathaniel stopped kicking. He hung limply, aware only of the stinging pain and the ignominy of his punishment. The fact that Miss Lutyens was witness to it made it far more brutal than he could bear. Fervently, he wished he were dead. And when at last a darkness welled up and began to carry him away, he welcomed it with all his heart. The hands released him, but he was already unconscious before he hit the floor. Nathaniel was confined to his room for a month and subjected to a great number of further punishments and deprivations. After the initial series of penalties, his master chose not to speak to him and contact with everyone else, with the exception of Mrs. Underwood, who brought him his meals and dealt with his chamber pot, ceased forthwith. Nathaniel had no lessons and was allowed no books. He sat in his room from dawn until dusk, looking out across the roofscapes of London toward the distant houses of Parliament. Such solitude might have driven him mad had he not discovered a discarded ballpoint pen under his bed. With this and a few old sheets of paper, he managed to while away some of the time with a series of sketches of the world beyond the window. When these became tedious, Nathaniel devoted himself instead to compiling a large number of minutely detailed lists and notes drawn over his sketches, which he concealed under his mattress whenever he heard footsteps on the stair. These notes contained the beginnings of his revenge. To Nathaniel's great distress, Mrs. Underwood had been forbidden to talk to him, although he detected some sympathy in her manner. Her silence gave him cold comfort. He withdrew into himself and did not speak when she entered. It was thus only when his month's isolation came to an end and his lessons started up once more that he discovered that Miss Lutyens had been dismissed. And thus ends chapter 12 of The Amulet of Samarkand. So, fucking hell. A couple of things from my end. Uh -huh. Bartimaeus is going to wait until like the most inopportune fucking moment to do whatever he's going to do to Nathaniel after having learned his name. <laughs> it's going to be, uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to be such a clusterfuck that it will make whatever gods exist absolutely fucking jealous. This yep. is going to be like the clusterfuck of all clusterfucks. Second. Yep. Simon Lovelace is a fucking sore ass motherfucking loser. Like, he yeah, gave Nathaniel. He played a game with Nathaniel and gave him a set of rules to play by. Nathaniel said, all right, I'll play your game. Here's what you're looking for. Here's the answers. You know, I won your game because mm -hmm. he wanted to show me up. Nathaniel changed the rules and then decided to fucking punish him for it because he showed up somebody who was his superior. The fuck, man? Mm -hmm. Fucking abusive piece of shit. Mm. And yeah. then, and then, 
Uh, okay, so first things first, Nathaniel, I understand yep. you were mad. Mm -hmm. That does not mean you release I mean, vengeful sprites. Sounds like something I'd do. He's a kid. Here's it does thing, it's something something a 10-year-old would do. Here's the thing. That, well, he's 11. Um, no, he's not 11. He's almost 11. Almost 11. Here's the he's thing, though. Still 10. He is not properly socialized on top of the fact that he um, is clearly showing signs as we look at things now in the current perspectives of medicine and whatnot. He is clearly showing signs of neurodivergence, PTSD, for one thing. CPTSD, most likely. Mm -hmm. Well, that, and he, there was, there was a, um, a point out mention from the author when describing the first interaction with Simon Lovelace, how um, Nathaniel was paying more attention to the teeth. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's one of the neuro, one of the neurodivergent traits, isn't it? I'd, I'll have to double check on that. Of only being but... Yeah, uh, Nathaniel's not had it easy, and I—he I, has—he hasn't no. really been shown a lot of love, he, other than Mrs. Underwood and Miss Lutyens. I want to mm -hmm. know why Mrs. Why Ms. Lutyens was fired. Yeah, she tried to show him comfort, and she tried to show that she cared about him. She didn't. Probably something she didn't she understand said. what was going Excuse on. Me. She didn't understand what he'd done. She didn't understand. She didn't have that knowledge. So either she said something to him off screen, or she said something off screen, mm -hmm. or this is more just, you know, the student fucked up. We're now mm -hmm. going to punish him by getting rid of something dear to him. So we're talking about Mr. Yeah. Ten being dismissed. Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. In the chapter, it mentioned that he heard her say something. Mm -hmm. So either she said something that pissed off Lovelace even more than he already was. Or she said something to Mr. Underwood. Basically, like, how could you let him do that to your own student? Simon Lovelace mm -hmm. needs, to get up, uh, needs to get off of his high fucking horse. He... From mm -hmm. from what I'm gathering, he thinks he's better. Uh, he, at least the impression I'm getting, he thinks he's better than everyone else. He thinks he can do whatever the fuck he wants mm -hmm. without consequence. He mm -hmm. thinks that he knows best, and it doesn't matter who the fuck you are. And I have a serious issue with that kind of attitude. Part of that is because of how young he is, being in the position that he's in. I don't give a fuck because. Yeah, well, that's part of the ego complex is because since he sees himself as like, hey, I'm like the youngest person to get this position. I'm better than all these old fucks here. No, it just means you knew what to say or you, you knew what to do or you were good at acquiring knowledge. Or maybe you got, maybe God forbid, you fucked somebody that gave you the position. Like the bimbo. <laughs> does not give you license to be an asshole and also, to be... piece of fuck. Well, also, it's not even his student. I would understand if Mr. Underwood... Yeah. At least that would be... 
at least that would be like understandable done that. because Mr. Underwood is literally responsible for this kid, but to have somebody else walk in and s- discipline your like your charge. That's like me yeah. walking in that's, that's like, like me walking into one of our friend Cricket's house and disciplining her kids if they step out of line. I first of all I would never, but right. se- but like exact same type of scenario. I would fully expect uh, Cricket, if, like, if, say, something like that were to happen, I would fully expect Cricket to unleash some hidden, right, uh, like, some hidden vicious that power not, upon you. That is not a side of Cricket I ever want to see. Just just putting that out there. That is not a, not a side of her I ever want to see. Sorry, go ahead, uh, Lady Punnett. I would like to point out, though, and this has been proven since the very start, Underwood never wanted an apprentice. Nope. He stated, like, in the first chapter he was officially introduced in, he never wanted one. He was basically the, given the equivalent of jury duty and told, hey, here's your apprentice. Yes. yes. Train it. But now that he's got it, it is his responsibility to make sure that this child is kept safe, that this child is kept, and the fact- you know, that this child is fed, this child is clothed and housed. That child is, since he has essentially been assigned responsibility for this kid, that kid is now effectively his. Yeah, he is effectively the adopted father of that child. And the fact that he did not step in to take responsibility over this kid, Nathaniel. Hmm. He is not a good character. The fact that Nathaniel hasn't been properly socialized, hasn't been taught how to deal with certain situations, hasn't been shown, you know, you might not like things sometimes. It's no reason to act out. And yeah, mm-hmm. adults are going to be assholes. The fact that he hasn't been shown this, I'm sorry. But yeah, what the kid did was wrong. But in this context, I don't think, I don't the think the kid's to blame. Know? Yeah, how else was he supposed to? No, like how else was he supposed to react in that situation? <sighs> he even like it, there was even explanation from Nathaniel as to what usually happened whenever colleagues did come over. Put in his room, or he was kept studying. Mm-hmm. I would have, yeah. You don't just shove that on a kid. Like it, it did. Underwood did fall short of that. Like I would have. Here, okay. Once again, in some alternate universe. For example, say in some alternate universe, let's say that my my uh, my witch character, Professor Thornwick, mm-hmm. let's say that she was in charge yep. of this kid. Mm-hmm. What Thornwick... Okay, first of all, Thornwick would have been a lot more motherly, probably still would have followed the rules. But mm-hmm. ignoring that, she would have said, sat him down that morning and be like, okay, here's what's yep. happening. I'm having a bunch of my colleagues come over. I'm going to introduce you. Some of them are douchebags. I don't like them. We don't have to talk to them, but if they ask you questions, I'm going to expect you to be somewhat respectful in the same way you are towards me yes. and my wife. Mm-hmm. Or whatever she would have. Or your, or your tutors. Or your tutors. If they say something that upsets you, I am sorry. There's not a lot I can do about it depending on the person, but no, I yep. have your back. Mm-hmm. But don't do anything to embarrass me because then it will fall on me to give you the proper punishment. So... Mm-hmm. Unless one of those douchebags decides to take the punishing off on himself. Not only were there no expectations set, there was no information given. Mm-hmm. The kid was mm-hmm. made a fool of and literally insulted mm-hmm. 
on top mm-hmm. of being fucking embarrassed the shit out of. But after this whole situation, mm-hmm. somebody else punished him other than the person that was responsible for him. And on top of that, he was punished for an entire month. It says yeah. at the end that this is where the beginnings of his revenge have uh, started. Where I'm starting to mm-hmm. see why he stole this amulet. He's starting to detest and why he's Underwood. And he's starting, master. He like fucking despises Lovelace. I get it. Like I'm right there with you, kid. Yeah. But on a separate note, I would like to point out that Mrs. Underwood also like fell Fair. short. There's a possibility too. Keeping the whole, um, uh, what's that word? Um, giving benefit of the doubt. There we go. That Mrs. Lovelace probably wasn't told Me much Underwood? either. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Mrs. Underwood was probably not told a whole lot either. Because keep in mind, she's not really kept in the loop on a lot of things when it comes yep. to magical society. Because she is considered a uh, commoner, as is described in the book. I would think, though, she would have at least said, these are his colleagues, be respectful. Uh, Yeah. uh, So. Or she, or she might have been given misinformation and thought that Nathaniel already knew about it. So no information given, no lessons taught, no expectations set. Like, kids going in blind, no idea what the fuck's going on. He handled it a lot better than... Right. I probably would. You know, tried to play the game by their rules, was made a fool of, and am purposely embarrassed because somebody got up, somebody got fucking butt hurt. Reacted poorly, mm-hmm. yes, not his fault. I will forever stay on that side. In this case, not his fault. Was then punished by yeah, especially was then punished by operating. somebody who was not his master, and then punished mm-hmm. by his master for an entire fucking month, and is now calculating his revenge. I'm going to side with the kid on this one. Like, dude, that is a shit hand Mm -hmm. to be dealt. I'm, like, totally 100% going to side with him and say, well, it's not the best way to handle it. You don't know any better. And in this case, it's kind of justified. Like, dude. Okay. Slightly different topic here. But say that Nathaniel was your student. And same thing happened. You didn't have a chance to repair it. Like, basically, surprise party. They come over. He still did all this. What do you think would have been an appropriate length of... Because he needs to be punished. What he did was wrong. He attacked a fellow member of the society. What do you think would have been an appropriate length of punishment as well as a punishment? Because I do think, like, the whole no lessons, no books was valid. But I think I would have only done it for maybe... A week. Two weeks. I would say two weeks because someone yeah, did get hurt. Uh-huh. hurt. I do not agree with that, actually. Um, so for me, I am forever and will always be a proponent of knowledge. The more knowledge you have, the better off you are, the better off you are going to be able to deal with any given situation. I would not mm-hmm. have actually suspended his lessons. After this incident and after he came to, I would have, well, first of all, I probably would have kicked Simon Lovelace the fuck out of my house. Be like, dude, the fuck, get out. Like, don't come back mm-hmm. here for, don't come back here for Well, obviously. When, the ki- when Nathaniel woke up, obviously. I would have sat him down. I would have said, okay, let's reevaluate. Let's find out what happened. Let's find out where you mm-hmm. went wrong. Let's find out where Simon went wrong. And let's figure out a better way to 
deal with that entire fucking situation so shit like this doesn't happen again. Let's examine it. Would not have suspended his lessons, would have continued to teach him, probably would not have fired uh miss lutians because i fucking like i i was like all i i and he and lutians is she is absolutely good therapy like that's good outlet for him a way for him to express you don't get rid of that connection especially after a traumatic event like this sure you know maybe especially maybe extra chores maybe send him to his room afterwards and say you're not allowed out except for lessons Mm -hmm. uh maybe to use the bathroom Mm -hmm. But don't fucking isolate. Isolation never works as a punishment. No. Well, yeah. So I would have followed like something very similar to what you said was talk with the kid. Um, maybe not the lessons. I would probably suspend the extra reading because it's kind of like telling an introverted bookworm like, "I'm taking away yeah. your fun stuff." Don't They'll take still away read the ability to yeah. learn. So I w- Take away the extracurricular learning, but at the same time, teach the kid why this is wrong. Teach the kid how to properly react. Make them learn something valuable that they can carry forward and use this as an actual learning experience to build themselves up with. Okay, what about you, Moondragon? What would you do? (laughs) Moondragon. That's it. We're changing your name to Moondragon from now on. I mean... There's if man okay um but so but basically um listening to the both of you because me personally I'm gonna get a little bit personal here I was punished in similar ways as a child growing up by my father I was still allowed to go to school and whatnot because that's kind of legal requirement for me to attend public school right however I was punished in similar fashion. The isolation, the not being able to do a whole lot of extracurricular stuff, or uh, even to the point where I would actually get locked up in the garage. It's gross. And have nothing to sleep on on the cement floor besides uh, cardboard and a oh, sleeping bag. I'm so sorry. And the garage was infested with spiders, including black widows. See, that... It's taken a while to get over my arachnophobia. Pure, unadulterated torture, and I'm sorry. Yeah. It's it's fine. Uh, Especially when you put that on top of uh, having to eat just the basics of barely being able to survive when it comes to food. Um, (laughs) Like rice. You're only given rice for a good two to three weeks as your three meals. But, yeah. okay, so... Yeah, but basically, um, I would not do any of that to a ch- to my child, mm-hmm. first off. Like, because if, if I was put in charge of Nathaniel, he's not my student, he's At basically point, my yes, kid. He is effectively he's your adapt- child. Yeah, but I would treat him as if, okay, your parents gave you up, and you're already being given a shit hand. You are mine now. You are my kid now. Come here. Let me when mother it comes you. to raising this kid, everything for me, everything would have been done differently. This kid would have been a completely oh, different yeah. child had, had had I been, oh, yeah. you know, put in charge of raising them. Yeah. See, if Nathaniel was my kid, 
he yes he would still like have his lessons and whatnot but he would have a lot more in terms of extracurricular and even socializing activities outside of his studies because of the fact that just because you're a magician does not mean you are completely separate from the world you you live in you still have to know how to interact with those around you especially when you're interacting in areas of the world that don't necessarily have a very large magician's population like london does evidently i think one of the issues though is i don't think extracurricular activities where socializing with other magicians is really encouraged because bear in mind they're not allowed to have names yeah well, they're not allowed to keep their birth names. They have to have a different name at their name choosing ceremony when they yeah. turn 13. But what do they do before they turn 13? I don't hey, know. thing one! Well, thing like, two! Playtime's over! We gotta Mr. go! Wood refers to him as boy. So yeah. what if there's more than one boy? They're only at allowed the playground. one at a time. Well, no, I mean like, so... Oh. You're talking about extracurricular activities and socializing. It's hard to socialize someone when they don't have something to call them by. See, that's why that's why nicknames come in. That's why there is like a middle name. Nathaniel, nickname Nathan. Nathan. It's it's also the other things like how do you fit socializing? into the wizarding thing because first first things first we don't know what time frame this is in they talked about a chamber pot well the isolation thing probably involved a chamber pot but this is set closer to modern london shown actually within the first few chapters it is it is more right yeah so yeah it's closer to being like somewhere between the 80s and the the early 2000s chamber pot means He's not allowed to even leave his room to use the bathroom. He's stuck in that room 24-7. He has nowhere else to go. How does he, he take baths? He probably didn't. Oh, yeah. baby! That's the downside to yeah. this. Yeah, so... Yeah, no, this is full-on yeah. child abuse. Anyways. I'm thinking... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I'm just trying to... So... Nathaniel got annoyed that he's not doing it. at the beginning of the chapter. He got annoyed because he's not being able to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. Which, but we we've seen he has like almost a photographic memory. It seems. Yeah. So he's yeah. a smart kid. Oh yeah. But I think the issue is I don't think his master is acknowledging how smart oh, he is because he was even surprised when he knew like the words he's of direction. The recognition he deserves for the work that he is able to do. The master no, is not, not paying any attention to this kid i think he's looking at it like the least favorite chore like i gotta do this because i'm forced to but it's not the thing i'm going to put all my time and energy into exactly he's basically the distant father that doesn't even like do presents for christmas he's he gives you like a birthday card with an iou not even a birthday card no, I mean, like, so it's a Christmas, so it's Christmas, he gives you, like, a birthday card, but it has, like, it's not even, like, scratched out to say, wish you a Merry Christmas, it's just, like, a birthday card that you get, like, at the gas store. And, like, maybe an IOU, see you next Christmas type thing. Yeah, no, that would sound like, uh, under- Underwood. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's the issue of what's happening. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah so we know this kid has a lot of potential and he's not being realized and mrs underwood although thinks he has a lot of potential can't really fully acknowledge it because she's not a magician mrs lutan who is wonderful and possibly the closest thing to like an aunt or an older sister figure he has seems to understand it but can't fully acknowledge it because of the fact that she too is just a commoner um his other professor his other tutors are just shit people he only has one magical professor uh, tutor i think the music dude the music teacher is he is he or what, what, what are you talking about the history dude no, the history dude is a commoner. He admitted that. The music dude? Yeah, and he was, like, never chosen. I don't like him either. Yeah. Look at the way... We, we've seen him... Yeah, we don't like any of them. And look at the way he treated Nathaniel. Yeah. I, and, yeah, no, he is uh, a magician because he was teaching Nathaniel in the music lessons how to properly uh, communicate or summon a... Um, uh, I, I don't remember the entity's name but it was through a harp and uh, Nathaniel was having a difficult time strumming the strings correctly. And the music teacher got all up in and a- And these uh, people should be allowed around kids. Nope. Anyways, I'm thinking that might be a good place to wrap up this discussion. It's been kind of a heavy episode. Anyways. Yeah, I hope the next chapter is a bit more lighthearted. I doubt it, but I can hope. So we're going to do our wrap-up, um, and then we're going to, well, for those of you that are watching on Twitch, we're going to take a break. Uh, so bear with us while we do our wrap-up. Um, we want to take a moment to thank you for joining us for episode, or chapter 12 of The Amulet of Samarkand, the first book in the Bartimaeus Trilogy. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can follow The Reading Dragon at linktr.ee slash The Reading Dragon. You can follow Lady Punnet at linktr.ee slash paulina.avalon. You can follow myself at linktr.ee slash blazewing2010. You can find our podcast feed and our voice messaging service at anchor.fm slash idiot-book-nook. And you can find our website at idiotbooknook.wordpress.com. We hope you've yeah. enjoyed this episode and this discussion. We realize it was a bit of a heavier topic, and we thank you for sticking it out. But for Chapter 12, and I believe Episode 28 of The Idiot Book Nook, I'm Blazewing. And I am the Reading Dragon. I'm Lady Punnett. For Episode 29 and Chapter 13.